Welcome back to From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. I'm Matt Rienzo here with my good friend and co-host Mark Weller. What's up, Mark? How we doing? Hey, how are you, Matt? I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. Yeah. Uh, we had a great episode last time with Rupert Hayward. It was really fun and interesting, and I'm excited to get back into it with him today. It's going to be fun. Yes. Uh, Rupert's always a great, great guest. Uh, Rue always has very exciting things to say, very smart things to say, and knows what's going on is the man about town in uh, Grand Bahama. No doubt. No doubt. So uh, we have some exciting topics for today. You know, we teased the six senses last last podcast, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But we're really going to dive into what affects every single one of us being on this planet. You know, environmental sustainability, global warming, triple bottom line, real estate development, and all those topics that surround sustainability. Rupert is a certified expert, and he's one of the best possible resources and people to talk to to have these types of conversations. So let's welcome Rupert back on the show. Hey, Rue, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again for part two. Thanks, guys. Good, good to be here again. Yes, yes. So, you know, our last episode, we talked about bringing Six Senses to Grand Bahama. And, um, you know, not only is that the number one hotel brand in the world, but uh, sustainability is at the core of their ethos. And, uh, you know, give us an idea and just tell us why Six Senses Hotel being sustainable is such a big deal for our first big mover project on the island. Well, I mean, look, we, we in the Bahamas, we're low-lying coral atolls. I mean, you know, I, I forget the exact numbers, but much of, of the Bahamas are between three and 10 feet above sea level. And I, I don't think climate change, you know, is, is a matter of opinion anymore. It's a, it's a matter of science. And you're not a climate denier, you're a science denier. And so, we, you know, we need to build solutions uh, in the Bahamas that can make us resilient to storms and rising seas and all the other stuff. And I think, you know, uh, Six Senses are uniquely positioned to build this sort of next iteration of sustainable development here in the Bahamas. No, that's great. And I, I think uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how they interact with, with that topic. But um, before we get into sustainability and big picture and educate people, I want everyone to hear about your background. Tell us kind of where you grew up, where you went to school, and how you became an expert on this topic. Yeah. So, I mean, look, born and raised in the Bahamas uh, to a Bahamian father, British mother. And uh, I was here till I was 10, and then I was sent to boarding school back in the UK, which is a bit of a shock. I <laughs> uh, didn't really know much else apart from the Bahamas, and then suddenly I was, you know, in, in minus, minus 32 degrees uh, back in the UK wearing shorts in the winter, and it nothing really made sense but um but my heart and soul have been in the bahamas and uh i i had a career in finance i built a merchant bank for 10 years in london uh with some with some partners of mine and a lot of lot of focus on emerging markets but we invested into what i call sort of dirtier asset classes so real estate metals mining infrastructure etc and uh, i sort of realized uh, in about 2010 that you know, that, that we needed to take a bit more care of our planet and that we needed to build sustainable solutions. Otherwise, you know, my children probably wouldn't have much of a future. And so I, I left the bank and I went and did an MBA on the West Coast of America, a place called Presidio Graduate School, which is the largest green MBA school in the world. And and I, I had an amazing two years there. I, I, I probably didn't learn much more about finance than I already knew, but I learned everything I needed to know about the future of the world and, and where it was going from a sort of climate sustainability standpoint. And it, 
became really obvious to me that, you know, we've had these revolutions, you know, throughout the course of, of history, whether it's the industrial, the high tech, et cetera, et cetera. But that the sustainability revolution was going to be one of the largest disruptors of the economy, of the way that we live our lives um, that we've ever seen. And so while climate change is a is definitely a threat, I think it's also a massive opportunity. Um, and that's the way I, I look at climate now, is that we have to build these solutions to create sustainable futures, resilient futures for particularly low-lying coastal communities. Um, but actually, if you get it right and you, you create that sustainable economic development, it creates huge opportunities. It's a leveling up for for the poor in society to take advantage of these new, new opportunities. And it's a great way of creating diversified growth, particularly in the Bahamas, where we have a, a sort of monolithic reliance on tourism, um, which was gutted by the pandemic. You know, it was a, it was it was very difficult in the Bahamas, you know, when you, you can't bring your cruise ships here and your hotels are closed down. And just reminded me that we needed, you know, to diversify our economy, we need to create new sectors of the economy that high skilled jobs and, and the sustainability and climate economies, resiliency economies, they provide those types of jobs and those opportunities. So when you talk about tourism, you know, I, I want to just kind of bridge to that topic quickly is, is obviously that's the main industry in the Bahamas, but tourism in general isn't, you know, overly uh, beneficial to the environment. And so there's a push and pull between tourism and environmental sustainability whether it be jet fuel taking, you know, droves of people or private planes or um, even cruise ships um, with, you know, the fuels required in the, the trash that's generated. So talk about that push and pull uh, between tourism that's definitely required for success versus the environmental sustainability. Yeah, it is a push and pull. Um, and there are some sort of, you know, you have to sacrifice some of your more pure ideals around sustainability because economic growth is important and that's what drives, you know, the livelihoods of, of many people in the Bahamas. But the industry is changing. It has to change um, because its customers are requiring it to change. And people around the world are saying, we're, we're not going to go and stay in a hotel that uh, is destroying the environment. And when we go on our cruise lines, we want them to have solutions for plastics. And, and so... You know, you're seeing less and less of a sacrifice and a push and pull. And certainly when you see brands like Six Senses coming here and they're all about education, they're all about restoring the reefs. They're about making sure that the way that you build is low impact on the environment, that the materials that you'll use are locally sourced where they can, that you minimize the transportation of, of goods so that you can minimize the carbon footprint. And they've got these incredible initiatives where they actually promote and, and work with local farmers here in the Bahamas so that you can create farm-to-table produce, you know, fresh, organic produce. And, and, and that supports local businesses. Um, so it's really integrated, this model. And sustainability isn't just about being eco. It's about, you know, working with you know, local players. It's about appreciating what you have in your local environment and making sure that you promote that first and foremost before you import. And then all of the traditional tenets of sustainability as well, you know, making sure you lower your carbon footprint, making more that the making sure that the energy that fuels the development comes from renewable solar and wind or or battery technologies. Uh, making sure that you have solutions for your waste, which 
really on island nations like we have in the Bahamas is, is even more important um, because we've got limited space and we can't just create, you know, landfills all over the place. And we have to ship all of our waste uh, that we can't deal with on the island to other jurisdictions to deal with it, which is not right in the first instance, but also it's expensive. So talk about um, the Blue Action Lab, um, obviously an uh, important part of your life. And, and I think the Blue Action Lab houses a lot of these topics. So tell us a little bit about your work there. And I think that will unlock a, a lot of other topics for us to discuss. Yeah, so we, you know, as I said, you know. And start we, from the beginning because a lot of our listeners don't know anything about it. So start from the very beginning. Tell us about the Blue Action Lab. Tell us about, you know, what you've been working yeah. on and, and what it does. Yeah, so as I said, I, I live on the island of Grand Bahama and, and we've been hit by two big storms. We had Hurricane Matthew in 2016, which was the biggest storm in our history. And then we had Hurricane Dorian in, in 2019. And, and that, you know, was catastrophic for the island. It covered much of the island with water for a period of time and people lost their lives. And, and when we woke up on the 2nd of September, the day after the storm, you know, it changed our thinking. You know, we, we, we had to come up with solutions ourselves to solve these problems. And you know, no one in their own right can say that they have the ability to change or to solve the climate crisis, but we all have to play our part. And I looked around me and, and saw the tools that I have being involved in the Grand Bahama Port Authority, which is the quasi-governmental sort of municipality that, that, that manages a 230 square mile free trade zone here on the island of Grand Bahama and said, OK, we've got these unique natural elements. We've got these beautiful seas, these coral reefs, these mangroves, these deep water drop offs, this huge EEZ, this uh, that, that's largely ocean in the Bahamas, this economic um, zone that's largely ocean in the Bahamas. And then we have this unique regulatory framework in Grand Bahama in the port area, um, which really should allow us to accelerate new blue and green technologies, technologies set up to create sustainable futures, to create sustainable, resilient futures for communities in, you know, at, the, at the front lines of the climate crisis. And and so we created something with my partners, with, with Mel and, and Jeff um, and some great Bahamians, you know, Rashima and, uh, and Fiona and all these wonderful people that have been on this journey with us. We created the Blue Action Lab and the Blue Action Lab really is a, a thought leader in, in, in climate resilience. And there are many ways in which you can create climate resilience, but we focus on innovation and on the entrepreneur. And we said, look, if we can bring entrepreneurs developing the solutions for a sustainable future and we can embed them here in Grand Bahama if we can shorten their time between inception and commercialization that's what we call the valley of death you know if you can get them to creating revenue faster here than they would do in other jurisdictions uh, you give them a much greater chance of being successful so that those technologies and those companies can export their solutions around the world to create sustainable futures for low-lying coastal communities like Grand Bahama. And, and so we did that. We brought our first company through, which was called Coral Vita. And Coral Vita is this incredible company. It's set up by two uh, incredible human beings called Sam Teicher and, and Gator Halfman, who are now very good friends of mine, who were Yale, Yale Masters graduates from the Yale School of Forestry and the Environment, who had come up with a business plan 
where they were able to take IP technologies developed in the U.S. at the Moat Marine Lab to grow corals up to 50 times faster than they grow in their natural environment, to grow them in tanks on land in a, in a big coral farm, and then to put those corals back into the sea to repair our dying reefs. And for those of you who don't know, our reefs in the Caribbean, I think 70% of them have died. And around the world, on average, about 50% of all the reefs have died. And the reef is such an important part of our natural ecosystem. It houses 25% of all marine life, 25% of all marine life, fish and lobster and everything that we love about, you know, the sea is really contained within our reefs. There are natural barriers to storm surge when you have a big when you have a big storm, it takes 97% of the waves kinetic energy out and protects the people and the infrastructure on the land. You know, and, and the reef is a huge economic asset for the Bahamas and, and the Florida Keys and other jurisdictions with reefs because it underpins the tourism industry. So they're really important uh, natural bits of infrastructure. And Sam and Gator came up with this business plan to 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 create restoration services, to sell those restoration services um, to governments, to hotels and insurance companies, where they can go around the world tapping into private capital markets. It's not just philanthropists and foundations doing charitable work, but to actually leverage um, you know, the, the entire capital suite um, to bring large-scale financing to reef restoration. And they, that we got them to help them get their permits in an expedited um, manner, and they got some funding from the Port Authority, some funding for reef restoration projects from the government of the Bahamas. And on the back of that, they won the Earthshot Prize. Um, now, this is a big which, deal. This is a big deal, Rupert. I mean, let, let's 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 stay on this for a second. What they won, right? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's a prize that was set up by by Sir David Attenborough, who's the sort of the mecca of all things sustainability and natural world focus, and Prince William, the, the Prince of Wales. And a number of people, Shakira was involved, and Jack Ma from Alibaba, um, and all of these incredible people set up this prize to give a million, a million pounds, so depending on the exchange rate between $1.4 and $1.2 million, uh, to these startups in different categories. And Coral Vita won the ocean category, and that's really launched them into the stratosphere. They they now have contracts in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East and uh, are repairing reefs all over the world. Well, in, in many parts of the world. Um, and so we we took that model um, and we said, oh, well, we've been successful with Coral Reef. How can we replicate it? And, and we formed a joint venture with a company called Founders Factory, which is one of the preeminent venture studios in the world, to set up an accelerator to bring 35 companies through that accelerator over the next three years so we can replicate the Coral Vita model and breathe real life and energy and capital and expertise into these startups so we can build this blue and green economy here in Grand Bahama, create this opportunity for Bahamians to get involved in this, whether it's the entrepreneurs themselves or or also as, as employees learning these new skills and these new industries so we can create future in the Bahamas. Yeah, Rupert, the Coral Vita, which you were just describing for the last few minutes, is really just an amazing organization. And we've had the pleasure of touring it several times and meeting Sam and Gator. And yes, uh, for those of you listening, his name is Gator. Uh, very, very cool. Not many Gators that went to Yale, but 
Um, and then, uh, Mark, I understand, didn't Sam go to Wilson High School now, Jackson Reed, Jackson Reed High School yes, here in D.C.? And, and, and I'm glad you bring that up because just, you know, there's, there's a guy coming from Washington, D.C., who's made it out in the world and decided he wants to make a difference, uh, you know, studied very hard, obviously, then, then got himself into Yale, studied very hard, and here we are now. Uh, he's making a real difference down in Grand Bahama around the globe uh, with the project he's working on won an Earthshot Award. Just amazing. Right yeah. out of Washington, right out of Washington, D.C. Yeah, very cool. Um, couple guys and team doing really great work and uh, certainly one of many uh, initiatives and, and groups we'd like to highlight. Um, Rupert, talk about, I don't think most people really understand what you said about the coral and the reefs and, you know, the fact that it houses 25% of, of the fish that are out there, uh, it creates the ecosystem and also what it does to protect uh, islands and, and uh, you know, from the storm surge and such. And, and I think the other thing that, you know, the layperson doesn't really understand is the mangroves and the, the role that they play um, in not only protection, but just creating ecosystems. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, so... You're right. I mean, um, if the reefs house the more mature fish, the mangroves are the nurseries of fisheries. So when fish, when small fish uh, start their lives, they live in the roots of the mangroves because bigger fish can't get in there. And they're really the nurseries of the fisheries. And so if you destroy the mangroves, then the fisheries die and there's less fish on the reef. And actually, that's one of the causes of, of reef degradation is overfishing so, or, or lack of fish. The mangroves are extremely important. They're also, they act like a reef. So when a wave comes and it hits the mangroves, it dissipates, um, it dissipates the wave's energy and stops storm surge coming on to the island. Now, mangroves are also in the soil that they, that they create and that they stabilize with their roots are also a, a big source of carbon sequestration. So, I mean, for those of you who don't know, the, the climate crisis is, is really a carbon crisis. You know, we're, we're burning all of these fossil fuels and it produces carbon dioxide that goes into the atmosphere and it creates a blanket that stops heat leaving. And it means that the ocean is warming and the world is warming and it's creating, you know, these issues with the polar ice caps, which are melting and these bushfires in Australia and parts of the U.S. and, and larger storms in the oceans as well. And so mangroves are actually an, incredible at, at drawing carbon out of the atmosphere. And, 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 and our natural nature-based solutions, we call them, um, which, which can help sort of create more of a balance in the, in the, in the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. So they're really important from that point as well. Now, our mangroves in Grand Bahama were destroyed during Hurricane Dorian. We lost 70% of them. And so we at the Blue Action Lab, alongside our wonderful partners, water keepers, with some funding from the Walton family, from Lucas, Lucas Walton and uh, and Builders Initiative, which is his wonderful organization that is doing some incredible work around climate and oceans. Uh, we have a large-scale mangrove restoration project going on here in Grand Bahama. So we're training Bahamians, educating them about how you you do large-scale mangrove restoration, how you, once you've restored, you can actually maintain and conserve these important assets. You know, I'm a Big fan of mangroves, big fan of coral reefs. Uh, they've got hugely important roles to play in sustainable futures for, for the planet. And and you just teased something, you know, the people working on the mangroves or working on these initiatives. And uh, it really is all about the people at the end of the day. Obviously, we need to protect the planet. We need to protect the environment. But we're doing all this for the betterment of, of human race as well. 
And, you know, we mentioned uh, on the onset of this, on the onset of this um, podcast about triple bottom line development. So obviously needing to, um, you know, for a project to be financially viable, that's, it's essential. Otherwise it can't be uh, embarked upon, but then obviously needing to um, work within the confines of the environmental sustainability that we've been discussing. And then also it needs to raise up the people uh, surrounding the development or surrounding the project and, and be beneficial to the, to the residents surrounding whatever area the project's happening in. And so, you know, when you talk about the people of Grand Bahama, we talked about it on the last episode, the, the type of people that they are and, and how great a place it is. But talk about creating sustainable economies um, that can not only help the people of Bahama, uh, of Grand Bahama, but will also, you know, create an influx of other businesses and other like-minded organizations um, so just talk a little bit about that. Obviously, you have a, such a, a great uh, track record and, and background in, in finance, uh, as you mentioned earlier. So talk about how all that comes together. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of um, it's simple, really. When, when, when you bring companies and investment in the blue and green sectors to the island of Grand Bahama, you create jobs, you create new skill sets for Bahamians, so that they can become the entrepreneurs of the future. And I mean, give you an example, Coral Vita, when they started, it was two Americans who came down with a, with a business plan and a great idea. You know, they've now got, I don't know, 15 people working there, 80%, 90% of Bahamians. Uh, they have high-skilled jobs in aquaculture and reef restoration that didn't even exist in the Bahamas before. Uh, the, the mangrove restoration project, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of grant funding has come in to give stipends to people to repair the mangroves. And, and you've got, you know, school children, 200 people out on Saturday planting 10,000 mangroves um, organized, you know, by the Blue Action Lab and, and really by water keepers, by, by Joe Darville and, and Rashima Ingram and all and Earthcare and all these wonderful, you know, environmental educational organizations came together to give up their Saturday morning to go and plant 10,000 mangroves into the mudflats, uh, which where the mangroves were destroyed in Dorian. And it was an incredible experience to see these kids excited about being a out in this beautiful sort of moonscape in the north of Grand Bahama. You know, flat calm. It was, it was winter, so it was a little cooler. You know, up in this unique environmental environment. And, and everyone really energized. And were, were those like little big, saplings? Were they like one foot tall trees or were they smaller? How, how big were they? They, that all, they, were they were really propagules with leaves that come out the top. So they're seedlings. Um, they're probably, I don't know, uh, 10 inches to 20 inches tall. Mm-hmm. And they're in little pots. And you go out in teams and one person makes the hole in the mud and the other one puts the mangrove in and then they close it up and compress it. And, and, and you planted 10,000 mangroves in, in, I guess, four or five hours. And real sort of great, lots of boats taking everyone out to the mangrove flats and different teams. And, but you saw people so energized because they were actually part, physically part, of creating the sustainable future. You know, they felt empowered um, because they, they were actually out there creating this this future that they believe in, you know, so it was, it was great to see. And, and, you know, it's that, it's that sort of uh, effect that, that, that sort of snowball effect that you have where you, you get four or five people out there, young people, and then they decide, okay, I want to have a career in blue and green 
economy space. I'm going to study that at school. I feel motivated and I feel empowered to make a difference. And they have children or they tell their friends and you create, you know, this new industry, this, this new empowered section of the population to make a difference. That's fantastic. And, and leads me to another question, you know, agritourism. Um, how much does that play into what you're interested in doing in Grand Bahama? You know, you just mentioned an idea of somebody spends a few hours planting mangroves and all of a sudden they're, you know, environmentalists at heart and, and that can have a profound impact. So what, what are your thoughts on bringing people to Grand Bahama to experience, you know, planting mangroves or helping with the coral restoration process or, or things of that sort? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, um, agriculture and food security is, uh, and actually it'll make you laugh. I'm looking out at, at the sea right now. It's black color. I just saw the coral vita boat coming past on the sea because they've just been, they've been, uh, removing corals from a, from an area which is going to be dredged. Perfectly um, timed advertisement, coral. huh? Yeah. I wish we had a, if everyone could see my view because it's pretty special. <laughs> Uh, we'll take a picture but, uh, of it. And we'll post it on the podcast. Okay, we'll put, we'll post it on the I, social I, media. Okay, I will. I sent I sent one to Mark actually on the weekend and to you, Matt, so you because that video can get reposted. But I was um, up in the snow. So, I was literally in the snow when you sent that. It was <laughs> snowing in Massachusetts. Sorry, guys, <laughs> it's not really fair. <laughs> um, well, no, but listen, uh, food security, and I realized this, you know, after a storm or during the pandemic, where the Bahamas produces very little. And if our supply chains are cut off, you know, we, we have a problem feeding our population. And agriculture is something that everyone can get involved in. If it's low tech, raised beds, people can do that in their gardens. Um, but we also have a requirement to do larger forms of, 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 of agriculture, sort of regenerative forms of agriculture. And there's a, a great company um, run by Sydney Poitiers, uh, grand also called Rowena Poitier doing regenerative agriculture down in Cat Island. But we need to grow it and expand it and make sure that opportunity, uh, you know, infiltrates towards lots of Bahamians who want to get involved in that space. Um, but there, are, you know, the, the advent of technology in agriculture is extraordinary. I mean, you know, you look at the vertical farming models and you look at the greenhouse models and the NFT models that they have. You know, that works for the Bahamas because we need structural integrity to protect against high winds that you get from a greenhouse. And we, you know, we don't have great soils here, but, you know, the whole natural flow technologies and the vertical farming and all of that actually circumnavigates the issue of, of poorer soils and allows us to become a, a producer of, of leafy greens and vegetables and fruits that we consume but also potentially to create export economy where we can export the food into the Eastern seaboard of the United States of America as well. Yeah. Rupert, that that's very good. And it leads me to my, another question I have that came up, which is, you know, what, what advice do you have for folks to get involved? You know, what, like what you kind of gave a few tidbits there, but what do you have, you know, to, to get involved to, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever industry they're in right now, how, how do people get in, involved with, yeah, with, and, with and, helping with climate change and it, it, just as a regular person? Yeah. And, and Mark and I are good examples. Like in our work, we, you know, we're now uh, call ourselves triple bottom line developers. We, we do that every day. We, we work towards, uh, you know, these environmental practices um, to make sure that they're sustainable. But as, as human beings, you know, aside from our, our careers like what what does the average person do who wants to know how they can make a difference like they're trying to 
you know, make ends meet. They're trying to do their job well, whatever the case may be. How do, how do they do actually do something that makes a difference? First of all, understand that, that sustainability is going to permeate every part of your life. It's going to have to, um, whether it's laws that are passed by governments, whether it's the way that you transport yourself to and from work, um, whether it's the energy that you consume, the food that you consume, the packaging that you like, all of it has to change to create the sustainable future. And I think that politicians get it and those that, that understand uh, the science get it. And so I would say, you know, understand the science. I, there are lots of um, there are courses that you can do if you really want to take it seriously. I would have a look at Presidio Graduate School. Um, which was a was a, a a great resource for me where I did my MBA, and you know one of the problems though with with the sustainability piece is that a lot of the technologies are expensive. So if you need to, you know, not everyone can afford to buy a Tesla, um, and we need to find ways of making sure that these solutions are available to the masses, and we need to make sure that we link sustainability to profitability. So, you know, we need to show that the masses that actually the way that you become more efficient and you can save money or you can make money is actually by becoming more sustainable. And that will come over time. You'll see, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll start to see that the cost of electric vehicles coming down, you'll start to see the penalties that are put on the, onto negative externalities of people who are polluting going up. So it'll become more expensive to put, you know, traditional fuels in your cars. It'll, you know, it's going to become undeniable that, that it will be better off for everyone economically to be leading a more sustainable life. And that's probably not tomorrow, but it's going to happen relatively soon. And I think, you know, understanding those solutions and, um, and uh, you know, and how you can access them you know, through the Internet, you know, there's lots of good resources there will, will be will be important. And for your children, too. Yeah, it's obviously a huge topic of importance. Yeah, well, Rupert, this was awesome. This was a great conversation and very important. And I'm really proud of the work that we're doing and will continue to do. But it feels good to be just like a small part of the of the solution. So thanks, thanks for you know having us and in, uh, involved with this. And thank you for really teaching me so much. And I know the rest of the team feels the same same way, teaching me and the team so much about what it is uh, what it is uh, that we can do to continue to improve upon um, our uh, our practices. Yeah, and, and Rupert, is, you know, before we let you go, is there anything else you know from Grand Bahama on the environmental front you wanted to mention before before we break? Uh, well, I mean, I think just look monitor the, the six senses model um you know i think what 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 we're going to do here in grand bahama what what well in development and, and pegasus and and six senses are going to do and, and and that holistic model for sustainable development is is going to be really interesting i think it's going to set a new benchmark um that that we can all learn from well, we're all in, and, and that's how we're going to be conducting our business uh, in perpetuity. So hopefully that can uh, you know, start a little bit of a chain reaction in the business and, and get a lot of people on board uh, with this way of doing things. So, uh, Rupert, thank you so much for your time again uh, today. I know you're very busy, and uh, this was really uh, interesting for our listeners, and it opens up a whole new world to some of the people who, you know, they're just grinding every day in business or, or with their families or what have you, and this is definitely eye-opening and something that everybody needs to start thinking about. So thank you so much for your time. No, thank you guys. My pleasure.
All right. Thanks again to Rupert Hayward for being an awesome guest. I think this was really fun, Mark. Really uh, informative. And uh, I think people are going to have learned a lot. Well, I got to tell you, I wish I could have listened to this before I first met Rupert and went down to the Bahamas. <laughs> I would have been a little bit smarter. Yeah, knew a little bit more on, exactly. on the front end. But yes. Uh, yes. we'll do more of these episodes. We'll talk more about sustainability uh, and certainly about Grand Bahama and our work there. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from our listeners. So if there's a topic or a guest you want us to feature, please hit us up on social media at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening. As always, I'm Matt Rienzo, and he's Mark Weller. Keep building, people.